everyone. I am so excited to be here. I am so excited because I love this topic that I'm about to teach on. Uh, I love it because of what it did in my own life. It, it had a profound impact on me. It changed my life because it answered so many questions for me. I just feel like I got so much revelation from this topic of spirit, soul, and body. So we are going to dig right in. We got a lot of ground to cover today. So hold on tight. I'm going to talk as fast as I can, and you listen fast, and we'll get through this. All right, last week, we talked about the identity of the believer. Okay, we talked about what the Bible has to say about who you are in Christ. This week, we're going to talk about the gap, that disparity that exists between who God says you are and what you see when you look at yourself, because this is frustrating when your life doesn't measure up to what the Bible says is true of you. How can God say some of the things that he says about us? For example, how can God call me righteous when I still sin? How can the Bible say, by his stripes you were healed if my body is sick? How can God say of me that I am more than a conqueror when, when I look at my life, all I see is defeat? All I see is all the ways I don't measure up to this identity. Is God just, you know, is he looking the other way? Is he just kind of pretending that stuff doesn't exist when he says what he says is true of us? See, this is important. Because it's important for us to know not only how God sees us, which is what we're going to be talking about for the rest of this semester, but it's also important to know why can he see us that way. It's important because if you don't know why God says what he says about you, then you'll just kind of discard or discount certain aspects of your identity because you don't understand how they could possibly be true. But did you know that God sees you differently than you see yourself? Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to do so using the help of three volunteers who I'm going to ask to come on up and have a seat uh, while I read 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which says, Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So according to Paul, there are three parts of you represented by these three beautiful ladies sitting here. Now, we know these ladies. They are three different, distinct individual friends of ours, but not today. Today, this is you. All three of them together make up you. All right? You are a spirit. You have a soul. And you live in a body. All right, so let's talk about these three parts of you, beginning with the one that we know the best, our body. We know our body best because it's constantly communicating to us through the means of our five senses. If I came to you today and I asked you, are you hot, cold, tired, hungry? You would not say to me, let me go home and pray about that and I'll get back to you. <laughs> you immediately know. You probably know before I ask the question because your five senses are in constant communication with you. All right, let's talk about your soul. We know the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. This is your command center. This is the decision maker in you. So if body does have a need, it communicates that need to the soul. Soul then decides what, if anything, gets done about it 
and then directs body to do that thing. Same thing with, this, with the spirit. If the spirit wants to communicate something, wants to uh, do something in the world, like maybe act on the still small voice of the Holy Spirit or follow the instructions in the word of God, spirit communicates that desire to soul, decision maker, command center. Soul prompts body into action. All right, but even with all of this control, soul is not the most important part of you. That part of you would be your spirit. Because this is the part of you that is most important to God. And this is the part of you he evaluates when he determines whether or not you're righteous and whether or not you're accepted. See, he doesn't look to these two parts of you. He looks here. So thankfully then, that part of me isn't even really me. It's Christ living in me. And that's what Paul tells us in Galatians 2.20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Paul said, it's not me who lives. Christ lives in me. Okay, now you are right now looking at me. You can see my body. And you can right now hear me communicating to you what is in my soul. But you can't see or hear my spirit, and neither can I. Not only that, I can't even feel this most important part of me. The only way to know what is going on in the most important part of you is to consult the word of God. That's what James tells us in James chapter 1. He said, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. All right, so according to James, the Bible is our spiritual mirror. So when we look into the Word of God and we're reading the portions in Scripture that have to do with who we are, our identity, we're actually seeing a reflection of our born-again spirit man. Now, James says when we do this, we need to pay attention. He likened it to a man who looked at his face in a natural mirror. He said the man looked in the mirror put the mirror down and walked away and forgot what he looked like. See, he didn't pay enough attention to the reflection that he saw in that mirror. It didn't register. And you know, that's the only way to know what you look like. Do you realize you've never actually seen your own face? You've only seen a reflection of it. So if you've never seen your own face, how do you know if you look okay right now? Well, if you're like me, before you left the house today, you consulted a mirror. You looked into that mirror, you saw your reflection there, you believed what you saw, right? Yes. And then you acted on what that mirror told you was true. <laughs> Correct? Okay, well, in the same way, we need to look into what the spiritual mirror tells us is true. We need to see our reflection here. We need to believe it. And we need to act as though it's true. 
Because see, if I open the word of God here and I read in here, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And then I shut the book and I walk away and I never act righteous and I never think righteous. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna forget that I am. I'm gonna be just like the man who saw his face in a mirror, walked away, forgot what he looked like. Do you know what's possible to be a believer your entire life and never really know who you really are? You have to become acquainted with your spiritual mirror. Not only that, James said, we not only look into the perfect law of liberty, he said we are to continue in it. Now, this is an ongoing activity because there's a lot to see in the Word of God that doesn't really seem sometimes like it's true. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I look in the natural mirror, the phrase more than a conqueror is not what springs to mind. <laughs> so if I don't act on that word, believe that reflection, I'll forget that I am. See, think of all the things the Word of God has to say about you. We're going to talk about many of them this semester. But the Bible says you have the mind of Christ. The Bible says you are the head, not the tail. That you're above only, not beneath. The Bible tells us we have his peace, that we have his strength, that we have his joy. Now, if I look at myself from a natural point of view and there's no indication that any of that is true, how do I know that it is true? The Bible says it's true. See, we have to trust our spiritual mirror, become acquainted with that reflection because the better acquainted we are with it, the more blessed our lives are going to be because we'll begin to act on what the word says is true, and that's what produces the blessing. Okay, now let's go back to that gap between what God said and what I see when I look at myself. Now, the best way I can think of to really delve into and talk about that gap is to talk about salvation. So let's put salvation into what we're, what we're talking about here. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So, according to Paul, you received a brand new identity the moment that you became a believer. But if you had consulted a mirror at that moment, you would have noticed your body didn't look any different. You looked exactly the same the moment after you became a believer as you did the moment before. Okay? Also wouldn't have taken you much time to learn that this part of you really hadn't changed much either. Your IQ was the same. You still had tumultuous emotions, an unreliable will. You still struggled with temptation. You still worried and feared and doubted. So with absolutely no outward indication at all that anything changed, how can that verse be true that I'm a new creation? It's true because it's your spirit that changed. And this part of you did not get remodeled. It wasn't refurbished. It died. And then it was reborn. Mm -hmm. That's where we get the phrase, born again. Yes. Now, you can't perceive any of this change because you can't feel or see your spirit. The only way to know what's going on in the most important part of you is to consult the Word of God, to believe the Word. You have to trust your mirror. Salvation resides in your born-again spirit. 
That's what the word of God tells us. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a new creation. Now, if you're not a believer in Christ, man, let's take care of that today. Talk to your table leader. Talk to any leader in this room. We'd be happy to lead you into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you can leave this room today a completely different creation than you were when you came in it. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. All right, so you heard the word of truth, you believed that word, and you were born again. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit sealed you. This word sealed means stamped with a signet or private mark for security or preservation. It means to keep secret, to attest, to seal up, and to stop. All right, so you got born again, and the moment you did, your spirit was made pure. And at that moment, immediately, the Holy Spirit sealed this part of you. That seal keeps the righteousness in and the sin out. Now, these two parts of you still sin, but this part of you doesn't participate. And there are still consequences for that sin here. You still have them in your life. But the consequences don't penetrate the seal because the sin can't undo what Jesus did. And it can't break the seal of the Holy Spirit of God. Praise the Lord. All right, now I know that this is, this is difficult to understand. Really, think about this. When these two parts of you enter heaven one day, when you walk into heaven at the end of your life, your body and soul are going to be completely transformed. But this part of you will enter heaven the exact same way that it is right now. Exactly as it is right now. Because this part of you is already perfect. It has to be. Because it's not you, it's Christ in you. How can you get more perfect than that? Let's look at 1 John 4, 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Not one day when we get to heaven, right now, in this world. Okay, so the Christian life then isn't about getting more. It's not about trying to get more righteousness, more power. It's not about getting more blessing. No, the Christian life is about increasing your knowledge of what's already going on inside your born-again spirit Mm -hmm. and then working that out into the rest of your life. That's what Paul said in Philippians 2.12. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, salvation is in you. Now you work it out. Because it's great to have it here, but we want it here. We want the effects of our salvation spilling out onto the rest of our lives. Uh, Colossians 2.6 says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Okay, well, I received Christ Jesus by grace through faith. So I walk in him. I walk in all the blessings of salvation in the same way. I understand what was already put in me by grace. And then I draw it out of me by faith. 
Philemon verse 6 says, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. See, the good things are in you. You can't acknowledge them if they're not already there. Do you know much of what you're believing God for right now? The things you're praying for, the things you're standing on God's word for, you already have them. They're already placed right here in your born-again spirit. By grace, grace put them there. Now your job is to draw them out by acknowledging that they're there and drawing them out by faith. Can I, I just, I really want everyone to understand something today. If you could see this part of you, if you could somehow feel your born-again spirit, you would never be afraid again. You would never feel powerless. You would never feel inadequate. We just need to know who we are. All right, now, just because you have this fabulous, perfect spirit, that doesn't mean these other two parts of you are just going to submit. Okay? These two parts of you together make up what the Bible calls your heart. Now, there's good things going on in your heart. But these two parts of you together, with no input at all from your born-again spirit, make up what the Bible calls your flesh. And your flesh doesn't like to submit. All right? So there's this ongoing battle within you for control of your life. You've got all this, this wonderful new creation greatness going on in your spirit. You carry it around with you every day. But God won't make you walk in it. So you can have a fabulous, born-again, perfect spirit and yet live a carnal life. Now, the word carnal doesn't necessarily mean sinful, although it can. Carnal just means of the flesh. So if you have a mind that is dominated by the things of this world and by the report of your five senses, you'll only believe something is true if you can see it or hear it or feel it, then you're carnally minded. All right, now, it isn't that your five senses are bad. Your senses are a gift from God. What a blessing they are. And your body is a gift. This is your earth suit. You can't live here without it. Don't try and prove me wrong. You need your body. Okay, you also, your soul, this is a gift. God created it. He made us with the mind and will and emotions. This is beautiful. But it was created to operate and communicate in a very wonderfully efficient way. Body would, say, would communicate need to soul. Maybe say something like, you know, uh, my sense of vision is telling me there's a puddle in front of us. And then soul would steer body around that puddle, saving the new pair of shoes. That's how it's supposed to work. But that's not always how it works. And the reason is, we have a flesh. And flesh puts a filter on the things that your body is trying to communicate to your soul. It's like a commentary. And it ends up sounding something like this. You know, I'm feeling some pain over here, and I'm pretty sure it's serious. I think you better hop on Google and find out what's wrong with us, because I'm pretty sure we're dying. <laughs> right? Okay, how about this one? You know, did you hear what she just said? Uh, the words were fine, but I'm detecting a little sarcasm in her voice. I think we should be offended. 
Now, if we allow that kind of power to our flesh to determine how we're going to live our lives and the attention that we're going to give it to the point where we give it more attention than we give to the Word of God, then we are carnally minded. And Paul says there are consequences for thinking that way. Romans chapter 8, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Your carnal mind is an enemy of God. The Amplified Bible puts it this way. It says, the mind of your flesh with its carnal thoughts and purposes is hostile to God. It does not submit itself to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. See, so this doesn't say it's difficult for the carnal mind to submit to God. It says it's impossible. It can't happen. And that's because your flesh and the Holy Spirit within you have nothing in common. That's what Jesus tells us in John 3, 6. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is spirit. So your flesh and the Holy Spirit within you are at opposing ends. One of them is going to dominate your life. They can't both have their way. Now, if flesh is the boss of you, you'll still have a fabulous spirit. You'll still look fabulous. But your life won't look fabulous because you'll live contrary to that identity. All right. So there's a war, a battle going on within you. That battle takes place right here. We've talked about the battlefield of the mind before. This is where the war is going on, in your decision maker. Okay, so this war is described perfectly in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7. Paul said, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Can anyone relate to this struggle? How pathetic, isn't it? We want to live right, and we keep trying, but we fail so often, and we end up making the same lament Paul made, wretched man that I am, why can't I just live the way the Bible tells me to live? I want to. Do you know, I see problems in my life, and I would like them fixed. But the problem is, my way of fixing them is to get these two characters together and have them concoct a, problem, or a solution to my problems. And here's what's interesting. The solution on paper looks great. Do you know there's formulas for changing 
things in your life, even simple things like getting in better shape or saving money, all the way up to uh, things like overcoming sin. On paper, it looks great. If the plan could be followed, positive changes would be made in my life. But see, therein lies the problem. The plan can't be followed. Why not? Because I have a flesh. I have the will to do what is right, but my flesh is stronger than my will. So I keep on trying and trying and trying, and I never seem to be able to get anywhere. And that's because my body and my soul together cannot tame my flesh. But that's what we need to understand. It's not about taming your flesh. Your flesh is your flesh. It's never going to be anything but your flesh. In fact, if, you're, if you can get to the point where your soul is walking in step with your spirit, you're growing in the Lord, you're focused on spiritual things, you're, you're, just, you're doing great and you're doing so for decades, doesn't matter how long you do it. Do you want to know what's going to happen if you ever turn your head back over here? You're going to come face to face with your flesh. And you're going to struggle with temptation as much as you ever have because it's the same old flesh. But see, that's not your identity. You are a spiritual being. So let's flip to the next chapter in Romans and look at the solution to this battle from Romans 7. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And we already read verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So see that struggle that I've been dealing with in Romans 7. In Romans 8 now becomes a decision. What am I going to think about? Carnal thoughts lead to death. Spiritual thoughts lead to life and peace. So now I have a choice, my decision maker, my command center. What am I going to think about? Verses 12 and 13, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, it's by the Holy Spirit that we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Our own carnal thinking can't do it. If you are frustrated because you try and try and try to tame your flesh, quit trying. It's never going to work. Instead, make this part of you, the part where God himself abides. Make this the leader, the dominant part of your life. Now, this doesn't happen just because we wish it would. We have to choose this. We have to choose the right mirror. Jesus said in John 6:63, it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life, all right? Our flesh profits nothing. It's the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that give us life. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, there is a lot in that passage of Scripture, so let's break this down. First of all, Paul said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where's the Spirit of the Lord? He's in your born-again spirit, right? 
the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. All right, so if this, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and the spirit of the Lord is in your born-again spirit, then what's going on here? Liberty, freedom. There's freedom here. All right, now, Paul said, we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Okay, this doesn't say that we behold the Lord's glory through a window. He said we're looking in a mirror. See, this is the same thing James said. When I look into the word of God, I see a reflection of the glory of the Lord within me. And again, I need to pay attention to what I see here. Paul said that I am to behold this glory. That means I fix my attention, not a quick glance. I pay attention to what I see there. And what are we looking at? What are we beholding? He said we're beholding the glory of the Lord. Okay? Stop beholding your past. Stop beholding your failures. Stop beholding your circumstances. In fact, just stop beholding yourself. Beholding all that stuff is to be carnally minded, and we don't want that. We want to be focused on the glory of the Lord. And here's where it really gets good, because Paul says, as we choose to look away from carnal things, as we focus on the glory of the Lord, we are transformed. This is the same thing he said in Romans 12, 2, when he said we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So as we focus on the scriptures, on, on seeing Christ in the scriptures, our minds are renewed. And as our minds are renewed, our lives are transformed. And look what we're transformed into. We are transformed into the same image we are beholding. So as you're putting your attention on the glory of the Lord, you're being transformed into that image of Christ. You could say it this way, you become what you behold. Now, Paul said all of this happens from glory to glory. This is gradual. It's going to take some time. But as you behold the glory of the Lord, what's in here gets worked out. To out here. See, you're working out your salvation. And it's the Lord that's doing all the work. All you're doing is beholding Him. All right, now we took that passage apart. Let's put it all back together. Read verse 18 again in the Amplified Translation. Listen to these words. And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the Word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That is how you change. That's how you become Christ-like. And that's how you own the identity that we are going to be talking about for the next eight weeks. It's not by trying. It's by believing God. Okay, Joseph Prince put it this way. He said, my friend, the best way to change self is to forget self and be occupied with Christ. When you read the Bible, see his beauty, his majesty, his compassion, and his grace. As you keep beholding and meditating on his glory, 
The Holy Spirit inside you goes to work in you. He will transform you into the same image of Christ. You will be changed from glory to glory, experiencing true and lasting inward transformation. All right, so let me ask in closing, which mirror are you looking in? Are you trying to change yourself by examining yourself and making yourself look and act more like the identity that you hear is yours in Christ? Or are you looking into the pages of the Word of God, just beholding the Lord there and letting the Holy Spirit transform you because the mirror you choose makes all the difference. And I want to illustrate that in closing with this quote from A.W. Tozer, which says, God is looking for those with whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things that we can do by ourselves. All right, now this illustrates these two mirrors. We can either do the impossible with God, or we can do only the things we can do by ourselves. What a pity if we choose the wrong mirror. So choose your mirror wisely because you're becoming like what you behold. And that makes the results of your choice eternal. They have eternal implications. Amen? Amen? All right. I think I've given you plenty to chew on and discuss. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you to our volunteers who sat up here for 30 minutes. And thank you to God who, who did all of that already in your born-again spirit. Man, praise the Lord. All right. Discuss.